This is a CBC podcast. Hi there, I'm David Cochran, and this is the Power and Politics podcast for Tuesday, February 6th. There are new signs support for Ukraine is slipping inside Parliament and across the country. Is the sentiment for Ukraine changing, and if so, why? Plus, the Prime Minister is facing questions about that Nazi veteran who received a standing ovation in the House of Commons. Why was he also invited to the Prime Minister's official reception later that night? We begin on Parliament Hill, where the House of Commons has voted to pass the updated Canada-Ukraine free trade deal. I declare the motion adopted. Conservatives voted against that bill. Now the Liberals are accusing them of abandoning Ukraine. This comes as Canadian interest in Ukraine is waning and public support is weakening, according to a new poll. The number of people saying Canada has offered too much support to Ukraine has doubled since the early weeks of the war against Russia. Meanwhile, an old scandal resurfaces. Media reports reveal that the Prime Minister invited Yaroslav Hunka, the veteran of a Nazi unit, to attend a Toronto rally honoring the Ukrainian president. Former Speaker Anthony Roda resigned over Hunka's appearance in the House of Commons, and opposition leader Pierre Polyev says Trudeau should too. Now we know that he personally invited that same individual. He actually said the opposite. And he said that the former speaker had to resign over doing the exact same thing. So will he hold himself to the very same standard and admit that he's not fit for office? He is choosing to not stand with Ukraine, not stand with Ukrainians, and not stand with Ukrainian Canadians. Why are they abandoning Ukraine? I'm joined now by two MPs from the foyer of the House of Commons, Ontario Liberal MP Francesco Sorbera and the NDP's foreign affairs critic Heather McPherson. We requested that a Conservative MP join the discussion, but no one was provided. But I want to thank you both uh, for joining me today. Of course. Nice to be here. Mr. Sorbera, I'd like to start with you, if I could, on the revelations in the last little while about the invitation of Mr. Honka to the reception with the president of Ukraine in Toronto. Um, The prime minister's office didn't tell us at the time. They're not telling us why they kept this secret despite knowing it. Do you have an explanation as to why they didn't reveal this when this was the controversy in the moment? Uh, Thank you, David, for the question. Uh, I'd like to start off by saying the evening of the the reception that we're, we're referencing, we're talking about where President Zelensky and the prime minister and many, many dignitaries and more importantly, uh, where literally thousands of uh, Ukrainian Canadians attended. I was there that evening, and it was one of the most powerful emotional events that I've gone to uh, as a member of Parliament. Uh, you had Ukrainian Canadians singing their national, their national anthem, the Ukrainian national anthem, and just the solidarity, the togetherness that we witnessed that night was something I will never forget. Uh, with regards to the invitation that was sent to, to this individual, whether the invitation was here or Parliament or that evening, and this individual was listed as an invitee by an association or group, uh, look, it was unacceptable. It was wrong. Uh, it should never have happened. We know that. We've, we've stated that. And, and, and really, the focus for myself and for my colleagues is, you know, today's events where we voted and uh, we voted for and it passed uh, a modernized Canada-Ukraine free trade agreement. Uh, that's, what, that's my focus and my focus is standing shoulder to shoulder with Ukrainian Canadians, uh, with Ukrainians fighting against uh, an unjustified in- invasion and answering President Zelensky's call to make sure we get this, uh, the agreement done 
and now to the Senate so we can get royal assent, so we can ensure Canadians and our government stands with the Ukrainian people, whether it's here in Canada or in, or in Ukraine. Okay, I want to get to the free trade agreement in just a second, but, but the Prime Minister's office must have known this when Mr. Hunka's presence in the gallery was a controversy. I, I, it's made very clear it was the Speaker who was responsible for this, but this was an invitation from the Prime Minister's office. I know it was recommended by the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress. Yes. But why are we finding out about this from Rebel News and then the Globe and Mail and not from the Prime Minister's office itself? Okay. You know, with, with reference, you know, I know the, the former Speaker of the House has taken responsibility for the invitation that was sent to this individual. And, and, and with regards to, you know, a, any sort of aftermath in terms of other organizations inviting this individual, Again, thousands of invitations went out uh, to individuals. Uh, this person was not at the event uh, that evening. The event that evening was, again, I would say one of the most powerful events that I've attended. And again, the focus for myself and my colleagues is continuing to stand by the Ukrainian people, uh, whether here in Canada, the 1.5 million Ukrainian Canadians I call Canada home, uh, and uh, the Ukrainians that are fighting uh, the unjustified, tyrannical Russian government that, uh, you know, nearly two years ago, I believe now, uh, in Invaded Ukraine. All right, Heather McPherson, uh, I, I heard the Conservatives today say this means the Prime Minister should follow Anthony Rota's lead and, and resign his position for being dishonest with Parliament on this. I'm not sure the NDP share that position or not, uh, but what is your view on the fact that this wasn't disclosed uh, in the moment and we're only finding out about it now? I mean, it's very disappointing. Realistically, we have, we have a number of Jewish Canadians who are very hurt. This caused deep damage to our country's reputation on the world stage in front of our, our greatest allies, and, and it, is, it is something we need to get to the, the bottom of. This can't happen again. We can't be in a situation where, where things like this happen, and so the fact that there's no transparency, the fact that the, the Prime Minister's office didn't come clean on this, I think is really problematic. So, so I want to make sure that the Liberals are taking this seriously. It is not an opportunity to pivot to other things. This is very serious. This hurt members of our, of our community. This hurt our reputation internationally, and that's serious. Now, the other thing that I have to say is this is detracting from, from our support for Ukraine. This is distracting us from what we should also be focusing on, and that is making sure that Canada is standing staunchly with Ukraine to help them fight against the Russian Federation. And, and this now has, has, has muddied that water, and I think that's really, really unfortunate. So, so on that point, uh, I watched the vote today in the House of Commons, the Conservatives voting mm -hmm. against the uh, updated yeah, free trade agreement with Ukraine, saying it's because it has a reference to carbon pricing in it, even though Ukraine has had a carbon tax for more than a decade. What message does it send that this wasn't a unanimous vote in the House of Commons? And what do you make of the carbon tax excuse uh, or reasoning that the Conservatives are providing? I mean, it's, it's absurd. We, we know Zelensky asked for, for us to support this, this fair trade agreement. Um, the, the Conservatives are clearly showing that they don't understand geopolitical implications of this. They are clearly showing that they are unfit to lead. Pierre Polyev is unfit to be a, a, a pre prime minister on the, on the world stage. The, the Ukrainian, our Ukrainian allies have asked us to do this, to support them, to have this agreement in place. Canadians of Ukrainian descent have asked us to support the ambassador, and yet the Conservatives, uh, the Conservatives think that they can play right-wing politics on this and, and somehow score points with some of the, some of the far right within their party. It's it, disappointing. Mr. Mr. Sorbera, I'm sure you've seen the numbers out uh, from Angus Reid today that show 
a decline in support across the country um, in terms of support for Ukraine and with a big surge in that amongst conservative voters. 19% in May of 2022 felt Canada was doing too much to support Ukraine. Now that's 43% amongst people who voted conservative in the past. How does that play into what we saw in the House of Commons today? Uh, You know what, David, today was incredibly disappointing. Uh, We've had cross-party consensus in standing shoulder to shoulder with Ukrainian and the Ukrainian people. Uh, You know, I'm not surprised uh, the conservatives voted against Operation Unifier, uh, where we have Canadian soldiers assisting in the training of Ukrainian troops. We actually have Canadian soldiers in England, the UK, and in, in Poland right now assisting on that front. They voted against the $500 million in terms of additional military support to Ukraine. I'm not surprised, but I'm incredibly disappointed uh, that they're playing to the very far right uh, in in any jurisdiction in, in playing. That's wrong. We got to stand with our principles. We got to stand with our NATO allies. We just saw the European Union this week put together a $54 billion, $54 billion euro aid package to Ukraine. We need to stand with Ukraine, with our NATO allies, with our friends fighting for freedom and democracy for the Ukrainian people. You know, in the Ukrainian Canadian Congress, all the associations across Canada, the 1.5 million Canadians of Ukrainian heritage that have been here well over 100 years that helped build this country, we will stand with them as a party, as a government. We will continue to do so. And it is incredibly, incredibly disappointing that the Conservatives have lost their principles on this to placate a portion of their right-wing base. Incredibly disappointing, David. Yeah, but, but Heather McPherson, it's, you know, we're not just seeing this uh, in the House of Commons for, or on the far right. I mean, this is a shift in certain segments of the population in Canada. We're seeing this in the United States where there's an inability to get an aid package for the Congress right now. How concerned are you? Uh, I know Mr. Sobera pointed out Europe has stepped up, but they're right there on the doorstep mm-hmm. of the conflict. That people on this side of the Atlantic are losing interest in this war, and, and losing uh, and that support for Ukraine is, is, is dwindling. Well, I mean, it certainly doesn't help when you have conservative members of parliament who, who you know, a year ago were, were, were standing in the House of Commons and saying that they had full support and now are showing that they, in fact, do not. That doesn't help with the, with the public opinion. You know, when I speak to my constituents, and I, I will admit in Edmonton, in Alberta, we have an enormous Ukrainian diaspora that is, that is um, incredibly supportive of what's happening in Ukraine. But, but, you know, having, having folks like Tucker Carlson, who's currently in Russia meeting with Putin, come and meet with the premier in Alberta, that hardly helps. That hardly helps for us to, to maintain that solidarity that we need. You know, we need to have um, all parties moving together to support Ukraine. This is international law. This is, this is the world order. This is democracy. These are the things that we're fighting for. And the conservatives feel, I guess, like they can just change the channel whenever they like. That's not foreign policy. That's not foreign leadership. That's not leadership on the global stage. And it's, it's incredibly, incredibly divisive and dangerous. Uh, Mr. Sabara, uh, one thing the Conservatives have asked for uh, in recent days is the transfer of decommissioned rockets in the Canadian inventory to Ukraine, something a Ukrainian general has also uh, asked for. Yes. I know you're not the Minister of Defense and you can't make this decision, but broadly, do you think this is something Canada will consider, should consider, and maybe should do? Uh, David, we will first of all do everything we can to aid the Ukrainian military in its fight against Russia with regards to these 80,000 plus. Um, older type rockets, 
Obviously, we are investigating and going down that path. We need to make sure they are operationally effective. We need to make sure they are safe, and we can have the ability to transport them to the Ukraine. I know uh, Minister Blair and his team are on this. It's not likely we've been on this just for a day or two. We've actually been on this for several weeks and months, and we are working with the Ukrainian military on this front, much like we have done since day one when Russia invaded Ukraine unjustifiably, and Ukrainians are fighting for their freedom and their democracy and human rights and their territorial sovereignty, and we will continue to be with Ukraine as we move along and go forward and defeat Russia and then help Ukrainians rebuild their country. Heather McPherson, just as a final point on that, where are the NDP on this uh, in terms of looking at decommissioned uh, weapons, uh, rockets, and sending them to Ukraine if possible? You know, I think there's so many ways we can help. I think that that we should be doing everything we can. The New Democratic Party has been very clear on that. We should be providing the support that we can. And there, there's some things that need to get fixed in our system. You know, we have not done well at seizing Russian assets and, and um, repurposing them for Ukraine. We have not done well in our sanctions. You know, even today, the minister put more people on the sanctions list. We have no enforcement mechanism, so it's, it's a little bit of political theater. Uh, you know, humanitarian aid. We need to make sure that those detonators that were going, that were going uh, through other countries to Russia, that that's not happening. It doesn't make a lot of sense for Canada to be paying to have demining efforts go on in, in Ukraine at the same time that we're sending detonators that are being used in those exact same mines. So there's a lot of things that Canada still needs to do to stand up for Ukraine. I'm happy to work with the government on those things. I'm happy to work with with all parties. Uh, I hope the Conservatives finally see the light and come back to, to support for Ukraine. But, it, but at this point, you know, I think it's just, it's really important that all Canadians move forward on this. Okay, I, I understand you know those other points, but just on the rockets, is that something the NDP would support? You know, I think we, sh- we need to look at all of it. I think Mr. Sabera has made it very clear. There are, there are some, some challenges on figuring out whether that gets there. I don't know the, the details of any of that, so I would need to have more information yeah. before I can make that decision. And, and David, if I, if I can just reemphasize again, the, you know, the Conservatives just a few weeks ago on the what we call the supplementary estimates voted against Operation Unifier to help Ukrainian soldiers. They voted against the $500 million of additional military aid, and here they are today trying to sort of change the channel from voting against a modernized Canada-Ukraine free trade agreement that we know will benefit Canadians and Ukrainians as we move forward and we continue to act in unity. And that's where we should be. And it's just so disappointing to see the official opposition party abandon Ukrainian Canadians and abandon the people of Ukraine. Okay, uh, we're going to have to end it there. We're out of time. But I want to thank you both for joining me. Uh, Liberal MP Francesco Sorbera and NDP foreign affairs critic Heather McPherson. And if you joined us midway through this, we did request a conservative MP to join this conversation, but no one was made available. Yes, poor, 214-214-116-116. I declare the motion adopted. The majority of members of Parliament passed the Canada-Ukraine Free Trade Agreement this afternoon. The bill will now move on to the Senate. Conservative MPs, however, voted unanimously against the deal. Earlier in the day, Conservative leader Pierre Polyev and Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie traded criticism over how support for Ukraine has been handled. Justin Trudeau is a big talker and a little doer when it comes to Ukraine. He's made all these announcements of hundreds of millions of dollars of different equipment that he's never actually delivered. Polyev has been talking a lot about and crying about the importance of freedom. But the reality we know that he's about freedom for some and not for all. Meanwhile, the Ukrainians are fighting for their freedom and ours, and we will continue to support them for as long as it takes. 
Okay, we're going to talk about today's vote with Zenim Patishny. He's the president of the Canada-Ukraine Chamber of Commerce, and he joins me now. Mr. Patishny, thanks for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, when the Conservatives previously voted against the trade agreement back in November, you called it disappointing. How, how do you feel about them voting against it even now? Well, as, as uh, you said, we're on the record to, to uh, actually support the free trade agreement, but we were disappointed. We were disappointed because it was not a unanimous vote. And I'll repeat the same thing. We're still disappointed. It's not unanimous vote, but we're ha- very happy that it passed and we can move on to real work and real support for Ukraine, which is even much more important. Well, why the disappointment? Uh, I'd heard criticism from people like the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress that they felt this uh, sent a bad message. It could be the thin edge of the wedge for undermining support. How do you, you view the, the politics around this? Well, I mean, Canada was always very, very supportive of, of Ukraine, and, and Ukrainians always looked to Canada as, as the first place first place of support. So, again, I, I see their arguments and I see what they're talking about. But I think at, at the time when there's a horrendous war, people dying, people, uh, children being kidnapped and, and taken to, to Russia, uh, I think it's time to stop the, the politics about some statements and, and get into, as I said, real work and really support support Ukraine. Because Ukraine, sooner or later, will need huge, huge amount of support for rebuilding of mm-hmm. Ukraine. And, and I think the new modernized uh, free trade agreement actually does a lot to, to help with, with rebuilding Ukraine and helping Canadian companies actually to get into that kind of uh, business. Okay, I want to talk about that in just a second. But first, I just want to ask your thoughts on this new data we've seen today from the Angus Reid Institute that shows there is a, 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 a drop in support uh, for Canada's support for Ukraine in, in its uh, military efforts against Russia. We're seeing similar things happening in the United States where aid is tied up. How worried are you about that dynamic in terms of opinion here on this side of the Atlantic uh, about supporting uh, President Zelensky and and his soldiers in this fight? Uh, Well, I think it's natural that as the time goes on, you will will get uh, less and less uh, support. But I still believe that that both Canada and U.S. will will support uh, uh, Ukraine and, and will continue on supporting Ukraine because because at the end of the day, I mean, we cannot allow Russia to win the war. If Russia wins the war, Ukraine is not the end of it. Then you got Poland, Baltic states that that uh, Russia is already talking about and scaring them. And I would not be surprised. And eventually they'll move on further. So and at that time, I mean, at that time, it's going to cost uh, uh, Canadian, American and NATO soldiers lives. It will cost billions and billions of dollars. All we need to do now is help Ukraine. They're not asking for soldiers on the ground. Right. Help Ukraine with equipment, with funds, and, and they will do the job. So we, we have talked a lot about the politics of this free trade deal. What are the opportunities in the free trade deal? Because you've championed this as a potential driver of investment and economic ties. How do you see, what do you see as the top benefits of, of this upgraded, as they call it, Canada-Ukraine trade, trade agreement? So initial initial free trade agreement, as as we know, uh, that was act, acted or active from 2017, was was mainly uh, sort of agreement about the the trade tariffs mm-hmm. on on trading, and and really there wasn't there wasn't as many chapters that are very important, such as the new chapter on trade and services, which is very important. Uh, financial services, e-commerce, digital trade. I mean, all these things were not included before and are very important uh, these days. The investment, the protection on investment is much more clear, much more solid in this in this agreement. 
even things like uh, uh, rules of origin uh, are much more clarified. I remember we had many companies trading in, in Ukraine. They always had problems with, with the uh, 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 rules on origin. Now the rules of origin even even accumulate some of the uh, some of the uh, other countries, uh, such as Israel, uh, European Union, UK, that that both Ukraine and Canada have a free trade agreement with. So that makes it totally totally simpler and and easier. So mm. uh, there are a lot of new things that will help uh, both investment and and trade in services as well, not just not just goods. Right. So whereas the original agreement was just about knocking down sort of tariff walls, this really modernizes sort of the 21st century industries and the way of, of, of modern commerce, uh, in your That's view, right. in terms of streamlining uh, investment and cooperation that way. Yes, yes, absolutely. And it's, and it's I think, in line with others like NAFTA agreement and, and uh, Pacific agreement. Uh, so we have to be in line with all these. There, there is that language that has been controversial about uh, promoting carbon pricing. Do you see any downside in terms of the economic relationships between the two countries or for business investment in having that language in an agreement like this? Uh, I, don't, I don't really uh, think so. I, I mean, I, I saw in there more promote carbon pricing. I didn't think mm -hmm. that, you know, they were forcing Ukraine to agree to it. Ukraine is actually on the way to join European Union. And there are discussions in European Union uh, every day about uh, carbon pricing. And if they uh, join uh, European Union, they will definitely agree to it. So, I mean, they're on the way to do it uh, anyway. So I don't think I don't think it's something that will really upset upset Ukraine. I mean, and Ukrainians and Canadians were negotiating this, and, and obviously they've agreed to it if it's if it's in there. But I always thought it was more more promote carbon pricing rather than force to do it right. uh, in Ukraine. Zenon Patishny with the Canada-Ukraine Chamber of Commerce. I want to thank you for your time today, sir. Thank you very much. Canada's relationship with Ukraine is back in the spotlight on Parliament Hill with a vote on the Canada-Ukraine free trade deal and news that the Prime Minister's office invited a veteran of a Nazi unit to attend the Toronto rally for Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. The Prime Minister has been claiming for months that he had no involvement in or knowledge of the invitation of a former Nazi soldier to the visit of the Ukrainian president. Now we know that he personally invited that same individual and he said that the former speaker had to resign over doing the exact same thing. So will he hold himself to the very same standard and admit that he's not fit for office? They have an opportunity in just a few minutes, Mr. Speaker, to stand and vote in favor of a free trade deal that Volodymyr Zelensky himself is asking this House to pass, and he is choosing to not stand with Ukraine, not stand with Ukrainians, and not stand with Ukrainian Canadians. Why are they abandoning Ukraine? Okay, all of that, as a new poll from the Angus Reid Institute finds the number of Canadians who believe Canada is offering too much support to Ukraine has risen from 13% in May of 2022 to 25% today. And when that response is broken down by how people voted in the 2021 election, well, the number of Conservative supporters who believe Canada is offering too much to Ukraine has more than doubled since May of 2022 to 43%. The number of Liberals rose from 5 to 10%, and NDP supporters have risen from 5 to 12%.
It's a lot there. It's time to bring in the power panel to talk about that. Emily Nicola is a columnist with Le Devoir. Michelle Cadario is a former liberal campaign director. Cheryl Oates is a former director of communications to NDP Premier Rachel Notley. And Kate Harrison is a conservative political analyst. Uh, gang, it's good to see you. Thanks for joining me. Thank you to be here. Kate, Kate, let's start with you uh, on this vote. The Conservatives maintain their vote against the free trade deal uh, expansion. Is over the language in there on a carbon tax. Ukraine has had a carbon tax for more than a decade, one they agreed to themselves to join the EU. Is this a politically smart move to, to, to vote against this deal at every step of the way up to the end? Well, I think there's a matter of principle to be upheld here in terms of what kind of language belongs in a free trade deal. Uh, and we've seen a pattern, not just in this free trade agreement, but others that have happened. Canada-Israel comes to mind. Canada-Chile, I believe, is another, where you saw the insertion of what I would say is largely domestic ideological language into some of these free trade agreements. So the conservatives are are making the case that you know, this is a principle worth upholding that that language does not belong in a free trade deal. Now, they've also sought to amend uh, that legislation in support of, of the free trade agreement. So I don't think that it's that they're against the free trade agreement establishment. They're against this particular passage that does cite a carbon tax. And, you know, for what we're thinking about conservative support for Ukraine, um, they are also the ones that are calling on the government at this moment uh, to send decommissioned rockets per the request of uh, President Zelensky over uh, to Ukraine rather than be wasted here in Canada. So I, I view these things as quite separate. The support for Ukraine overall, they've, you know, conservatives have moved a number of times to increase uh, support, military support for Ukraine. And the liberal government insistence on keeping this language piece in there uh, that is kind of stalling this and making this uh, kind of an unnecessary battle. Cheryl, you know, you've worked in Alberta politics for a long time. A lot of uh, Canadian Ukrainian voters in Alberta and in Canada, will they parse it as finely as Kate just did there? Or is this a case of the Conservatives rather being seen as voting against Ukraine than voting for a carbon tax? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. And I think, you know, both sides in this case have really politicized the issue. You, you know, you have the Liberal government insisting on this carbon tax language being included in the motion. And then you have the Conservative side who is totally, totally taking the bait. And um, I had a former colleague in Alberta when, when I was working for the NDP in Alberta who called this kind of thing dipnip. And it was like, you know, the other side plants something in a motion or in legislation that they know their opponents just cannot resist. It's like catnip for them. And it is meant to draw hysteric and out of context uh, reactions. And I think that's what you're getting in this case, something that's completely out of context. And what it's doing is painting the conservatives as, you know, callous for making a decision about Ukraine based purely on carbon tax language. Um, so I think you're going to get a little bit of both. And I think, you know, part of that is the polling that you saw today where, you know, the conservatives are willing to publicly say very supportive things about Ukraine. And when they vote against a motion, um, it's OK for them to have part of their base believe that maybe they're not as supportive as they've said. So, so, Michelle, on that shift we're seeing in the numbers from the Angus Reid Institute, do you think the conservatives are driving the base on that or the base is driving the conservatives or are they just two separate things that are happening in terms of this vote and the shift in opinion? I think there's a number of factors. You know, I think we can't ignore what's going on in the United States right now um, and a lot of the news that might be consumed up here over the border and the lack of enthusiasm by so many Republicans, and particularly Trump and uh, the folks around him. For, uh, for aiding Ukraine and actually calling for, for less money to be spent there. I think there's also compounded with that is that this has been going on for quite some time. 
Uh, there's no real end in sight. And we're in a time when a lot of families are struggling with, with how to pay their mortgage, how to refinance their mortgage, how to go for groceries. And so I think that the use of money um, for anything, um, you know, outside of their purview is something that, that they might start to be questioning. Uh, and so I think that it's a combination of things. And I also think that, uh, you know, Mr. Polyev has been, um, you know, his own enthusiasm has been, uh, has been a little lackluster. And, uh, you know, the fact that a tr free trade bill um, with Ukraine that, that the Ukrainian government wants um, is something that he's kind of playing politics with and, uh, and you know, going to be voting against doesn't aid in that uh, either. E Emily, uh, what's your view uh, on, on the trade uh, vote and, and where public opinion is going in terms of support of Ukraine? On the trade vote, uh, I mean, we're obviously we're, our, our eyes are stuck on the tree, but I'd like to maybe take a step back and see the forest, uh, which is that if you want to do free trade agreements uh, in general with European countries or with a lot of other countries who have the environment on their mind, uh, having issues with language that is environment policy related uh, is something that's going to become more and more of an issue. And so that gives us a taste of what economic international relations could be like uh, certainly with the European continent under a conservative leadership. Uh, that being said, in the second hand of your question on, on the Ukrainian diaspora, it's very tricky because, you know, the numbers we've seen from the polls, for example, Angus Rind does not divide people by origin. So we don't have any sense of, you know, how Ukrainian Chinese are feeling about this. This is something that perhaps the Ukrainian Chinese Congress could be, uh, you know, looking into uh, its own its own membership and giving us a, a side of what's going on. Uh, but there is obviously some sort of calculation uh, that is done that is, you know, people are more interested in, uh, you know, being against the carbon tax than they are at being pro-Ukraine. And what we're seeing from the polls, it's also something that's, you know, affecting also liberals and NDP supporters. And so we'll see, uh, we'll see if that, that trend continues, if there's actually a price to pay for the kind of political move that the conservatives are, are doing short term. But if it's an indication of how they're going to treat economic policy and trade deals with countries that have the environment at, you know, 10 years, as we're saying, uh, ahead of, of Canada in terms of their policies, that's a uh, a red flag or a yellow flag uh, that we should be taking in co into consideration beyond this specific story. No, that, that, that's an interesting point. But uh, speaking of red flags and, and yellow flags, uh, Kate, some revelations in the last uh, few days uh, about the invitation of uh, Mr. Honka, Yaroslav Honka, um, not to the sit in the gallery during President Zelensky's address. That's been litigated and settled that Anthony Rhoda did that invitation, but an invitation that he did not use to attend this reception in Toronto uh, that came from the Prime Minister's office. Not disclosed uh, at the time, though it must have been known uh, by the Prime Minister's office. Uh, what do you make uh, of this revelation and the lack of disclosure? We found out because of rebel media did an access to information request. Yeah, and it's it was intentionally withheld because there was a lot of discussion, David, as you'll remember at the time of that event about how uh, Mr. Hanka made it in there. Um, and any most you know folks on this panel uh, have worked in in political offices previously. You know the kind of vetting that typically would go on particularly when there's an event with the prime minister, particularly if it's happening actually outside of the House of Commons, that actually kind of increases the importance of some of those checks. Uh, but I think that there's a, 
you know, a pretty big element of hypocrisy here. The Prime Minister and Karina Gould and others stood up and made this very much Anthony Rhoda's problem. And certainly when it came to the gallery invitation, that was the case. Uh, but someone dropped the ball in terms of how uh, Mr. Hunka was invited to this event. So at a minimum, it calls for at least a little more security, um, transparency on the security process or making sure that that's done more diligently. Uh, but the prime minister does need to take some ownership over the actions of him, himself or him off his office, because this was a national and international embarrassment at the time it occurred. Now, now uh, Michelle, uh, the prime minister's office hasn't explained why they didn't tell us when they must have known when, when this controversy was happening. We are told it was the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress that submitted Mr. Hunka's name to be invited uh, to this event uh, in Toronto. And as we learned, uh, with his appearance in the Speaker Gallery, a standard security check wouldn't have turned anything up. Fighting on the wrong side of World War II is not a criminal record, not a security threat, whatever the political challenges there. So that would explain, I guess, how it got through. But the lack of disclosure, what do you make, make of that given the intensity of the moment uh, when this first happened? You know, I, I really don't understand. Um, I don't understand, that, you know, there's a sloppiness to start with in the office in terms of not actually going through the list and vetting it um, and thinking through what, you know, what problematic names may potentially might come forward that you think that through and have a political lens on it. But secondarily, you know, the the kind of one of the rules of uh, communications is if you got bad news, just dump it all out altogether and get over it, right? Like, don't prolong the story and don't, you know, have a second shoe to drop. Um, And so I... I'm not sure, it, and, and there are professionals in there. I'm not sure if it took some time for them to find, figure it out that he was also on the list. And then maybe that was why it was delayed somewhat. And then, or I don't know. It is, um, it's really baffling to me. Cheryl, I, I don't know. Uh, I've never worked in a prime minister's office, uh, but it feels like a control <laughs> F uh, for the name, uh, you know, on, on the other list might have turned something up. Um, maybe they didn't want to tell us about this at the time because of the intensity of the moment. I don't know. But but there's even not a lot of explanation today. I mean, what's your sense on this one? It, it seems to have I, it, they've created a problem potentially for themselves. What's your take on this? Yeah, I think it is, you know, just like we've heard on the panel so far, I think it is absolutely a communications failure. I mean, we've said the rule is like, say it all and say it fast. Like, don't let this become not only a multi-day story, but now a multi-month story. Definitely. This is an absolute embarrassment on a national and international stage, but it's also a ton of theater and it could have been a much shorter lived theater for the prime minister had he got the story out faster. I don't think anyone in parliament thinks and i think most canadians don't think if they took a couple minutes to think about it that the prime minister himself signed off on these lists of attendees and went through them and vetted them all no one's expecting that of him but they are expecting someone to take accountability for what's happened and they are expecting someone to you know pay the price for what's happened um at the same time the conservatives are totally cashing in on and breaking through in terms of what's breaking through in the headlines when they are being criticized for their support of ukraine having uh, a Nazi supporter back in the headlines again definitely breaks through to Canadians and helps the narrative, if that's the narrative they're trying to spin. Yeah, Emily, uh, what's your analysis of this situation? I will agree with everyone that when you make a mistake, you say it all at the same time. That being said, uh, I'm worried about everyone calling for just more vetting of everything because the result of that is just no longer access for citizens 
uh, to uh, government held events. And there's actually, I think, in my opinion, already too much of that uh, in terms of how remote it makes uh, Ottawa from, from the people. And so we need to be careful with that. There's a specific context in the Ukrainian Canadian uh, community uh, that the Ukrainian Canadian Congress, who are the people who made the mistake, should be aware uh, of, and they are aware of it. It's just a complete taboo, the number of former Nazis, some of, some of them, uh, many of them actually, uh, hailing from Ukraine, who were giving a pass to immigrate to Canada. And so as long as there hasn't a conversation about that, that is more open than it already has been in the Ukrainian Canadian institutions, uh, then there's not going to be uh, that kind of vetting done by the organization that the prime minister's office should be able to trust. And so that's the issue there. And uh, if we don't name that issue, it's going to then turn into, you know, just added vetting that is more about political screening than it is about security checks. That's going to impact a lot of other communities that have nothing to do with uh, Nazi immigration to Canada. Yeah, Kate, I don't think any vetting of Mr. Honka would have turned up a security <laughs> risk. It just would have turned up a, you know, a political risk. But, but on that, like, today was a day the liberals were looking forward to when they were going to have this vote on the free trade agreement. And this was going to be yeah. their moment to draw this line of demarcation. And now the handling of this has kind of, they don't get a clean day because of it. And at the time of the event, it also was not a clean communications rollout or execution. It took several days, very uncomfortable days for Anthony Rhoda and others in the House to, to justify this until ostensibly some, some action was taken. So certainly uh, it has poured some water into the wine uh, for the Liberals on, on this issue. And just to the, the earlier point about access to these events, I'm very much in favor of people getting in front of, of politicians as often as possible. But, you know, President Zelensky's security requirements at this time are also pretty particular right. and unique. So the fact that there, while Mr. Hunka might have not been a security challenge, you would have thought that some extra scrutiny was being paid to this offsite event, given Zelensky's participation. Okay, uh, we're going we're gonna to leave it on that, but I want to thank you very much uh, for your conversation and your insights tonight. Thank you to the Power Panel, Michelle Cadario, Cheryl Oates, Kate Harrison, and Emily Nicola. Thanks so much, gang. Thank you. That's it for today. If you like this episode, please follow the pod and catch our next live show on CBC News Network. We're on weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm David Cochran. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.